So this morning, we are on week 39 of what it is to be the church according to Scripture. What do the Scriptures say about the church? And there are 41 talks in this series. So you do the math. We're near the end. And this morning, our subject is money. What it means to be a generous church for the people of God to be swift to give, willing to serve, eager to give whatever we have for the glory of God. And I know what some of you are thinking. Okay, here it comes. He's talking about money. I knew he was going to do it. It took a little while, but he, I knew he was going to talk about money because this morning is the stick-up, right? This is where they say, all right, it's time to give your money. Well, it is time for God's people to fully and freely give what He's called us to give. But I do want us to look carefully to the Scriptures about that call to give. And this morning we'll talk about tithes and offerings and our works of service. And so I want you to have all three of those categories in mind as we talk about serving the Lord with giving that it is our tithe and our offerings and our service that are all offered to the Lord as an act of worship. The stern old man said to the young preacher, I don't want you talking about my money. And the young preacher said, I'm not talking to you about your money. I'm talking to you about the Lord's money. Because he owns it all, right? Or maybe you've heard the story of the man said, well, I tithe to the Lord. I take handfuls of cash and I throw it up in the air and tell the Lord he can have whatever he wishes and whatever's left for me, just let it fall back to the ground. Right? Have you heard that? Um, we don't like talking about money. It's a little uncomfortable. It's a little too close to the heart. I don't like hearing or talking about money, but it is what we're talking about this morning. So, there's got to be some explanation to understand the history of tithes and offerings, but my real intent is to get to some practical application at the end. So I have three points for us this morning, and the first is this. The Old Testament history of tithes and offerings, and then the New Testament practice of offerings, and then thirdly, the principle for God's church, what it would mean for us to be a generous and giving people. So that's the big picture, and here are the details. So to define our terms, I think it's important to do that. I was talking to my younger children this week, and I said, do you know what a tithe is? And his honest answer was no. So let's begin with defining our terms. The tithe means a tenth one-tenth, a fraction, a portion of the whole. An offering is anything over and above the tenth. What we might offer over and above what God has called us to give. So tithes and offerings and then works of service. What you would do with your hands to serve the Lord. You can tithe and you can offer gifts of money, of time, 
and of service. So with those three things in mind as our ultimate application, First, in the Old Testament, the history of tithes and offerings. And I've just got to work through this. I've, I've, I've put the verses here and I have them on a handout if anybody wants to look at this later. It would be a good Sunday afternoon study if you need one. So first, tithing, the concept of tithing is first introduced in the Old Testament, actually before Moses in Genesis 14, before the Mosaic Law, where Abram tithes to Melchizedek. He offers him a tenth of what he has. It was ingrained in him because it was the practice of peoples to offer a tithe of thanksgiving, of service to one that they were grateful to or one that they served. But in Deuteronomy chapter 14, which served as our reflection reading this morning, we are told here as a part of the law, be sure to tithe to show reverence to the Lord. And it was a part of the Mosaic Law that God's people were to give of themselves, of their land, in thanksgiving to God. And the reason for that is revealed in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now this is very important, much hinges on this. The tribes of Israel, you remember the land was to be divided and given to each tribe. But the tribe of Levi the Levites, the priests, were not given land. They were given the Lord Himself and the promise that all the other tribes would tithe and give what was needed for the Levites. And so it's really a a beautiful system of give, of serve, of take. The Lord would provide, and He would even provide for the Levites through the many tribes as they tithe to the Lord. And so the Levites, though they had no land, they had storehouses of food. God provided for them through the abundance that He gave the others. But the people were to be, they were called to be loose-gripped with what they had, willing to share, willing to give for the glory of God and for the people's thanksgiving of God. So that's the history of tithing. Offerings are communicated in the book of Leviticus. And there's all kinds of offerings that you're familiar with that you've heard of. There were animal sacrifices, which were essentially blood offerings. There were grain offerings. There were burnt offerings. All of this to serve as peace offerings and wave offerings, all kinds of offerings to the Lord. And it was the system that the Lord put in place to reveal His holiness and that sinners do not just waltz into the presence of God in their own comfort. They came with confession of sin and with offering to the Lord. And so it was a system of tithes and of offerings. And then in the Old Testament, we're also given a warning. This is a passage you may or may not be familiar with. I'm going to read it. It's Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And so if you wonder if the Lord takes offerings and tithes seriously, listen to the prophet Malachi. The Lord said through Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, 
You have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So the Lord says through the prophet Malachi, Do not pretend to rob the Lord of what He already owns. Don't give a partial tithe, a partial offering. Bring the full tithe, the whole tithe to the Lord as an act of worship. So here we're told the severity and the seriousness with which the Lord says the human heart will reveal itself and its sincerity to the Lord when it's caused to have a loose grip on its money, its wealth, and its possessions. And by nature, my heart and yours is tight-fisted with our stuff, right? But there's something about the grace of God and the work of God when He is at work in the lives of His people that begins to loosen our grasp on things, particularly our hope in wealth and money and possessions. And so that is the Old Testament very briefly. That is the sum of some of the teaching on tithes and offerings and the very serious warning that comes with those. Now, in the New Testament, There is a continued practice of giving to the Lord as an act of worship. But we do have here a paradigm shift of sorts. The specific concrete language, the command of giving a tenth seems to disappear. And God's people are now called to give generously and abundantly, in the passage that we'll read in a moment, what they've determined in their hearts to give. And so there's a lot of debate over this, actually, that would make another interesting study for you this afternoon or whenever about this role of tithe in the New Testament and how does it work. There are people, good Bible-believing people all over the map who say, yes, you must give a tenth, or who say, no, it's not really concrete to give a tenth. I'll leave it to you to discern for your household how you process that. But what is clear is the New Testament practice and our practice is to be loose-gripped on our wealth and our possessions 
eager to share, eager to serve for the glory of God, and that we should give without hesitation for the good of ministry. A couple of passages. These are not written out in detail for you. But Hebrews chapter 10. We're told as as the language of tithes and offerings now experiences a paradigm shift in the New Testament. We're told that Christ Himself is the sacrifice. He is the once for all sacrifice who has shed His blood for the forgiveness of of our sins. In Hebrews 13, we're told that through Jesus, we now offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, rather than the fruit of the field, which had been the normal pattern. Then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a passage we heard in our call to worship, we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. You feel the paradigm shift. It's like everything's changed. It's still there, but now it's all Christ-centered and things are perceived differently. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, we considered this weeks ago as we were in the book of Acts. Here's where we see that the people willingly sold their own possessions for the good of one another. There you see that loose grip on their stuff. If, if people had a need, they were willing to give of themselves to meet that need. Something beautiful and mysterious is at work in the people of God, where they're not hoarding their possessions, they're willing to give them up for the good of humanity. And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, very important passage where Jesus says, Look, don't store up for yourself riches on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And then he says, don't be deceived. You cannot serve both God and mammon, which is to believed to be the love of wealth, the love of possessions, the love of money. Jesus Himself says, look, can't serve two masters. You're either going to love your stuff or you're going to be willing with a loose grip to give it up to the glory of God. And so the Christian's posture, our posture, my posture, your posture towards money and possessions is supposed to be a loose grip. We don't worship these things. These things don't make us. These things can't break us. God will meet our needs. God will supply our needs as they arise. And we are willing to serve, willing to give for the King and for the kingdom. Now I realize that is a whole lot easier said than done. Because the bills are always coming in the mail, right? And we are a fearful and a fretful people. But we are called to be a generous giving people. It's supposed to be in our redeemed nature that we don't love stuff more than we love the King and His kingdom. And the primary passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Passage you may or may not be familiar with, but give your attention to it. The Apostle Paul, in taking up a collection for the poor, says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's a lot of words, but it really is the simplest of messages. In our own way, we might put it like this. If you just throw out a little bit of seed, you're just going to get a little bit of crop. But if you have an abundance of seed and you cast it far and wide, that crop is going to return to you. And that crop is the Lord's faithfulness to you. As you love people well, as you serve with a loose grip, not holding on to that seed and putting it in your own pockets, but saying, I will love people, I will serve the king, I will serve the kingdom. The Lord says there is a crop of righteousness and abundance that will follow it. Now what makes this tricky for us is this. That language and imagery has been hijacked by what's been called the prosperity gospel. Right? It's a misteaching. It's a wrong-headed teaching of this that says, okay, if you want to be blessed, you need to give. And God will then, almost like a magic formula, fill your pockets with money. Now, if you want to read some alarming thought, Google prosperity gospel and go read what some people are saying and teaching. And you will find people who are disappointed that, hey, I've given money for the last two weeks and it's not coming back to me. My pockets aren't being filled. We're not called to give in order to get. That's where the prosperity gospel has hijacked the truth. We're, we're called to give without longing for what comes in return for ourselves, but to give for the thanksgiving that will be given to God, for the worship that will be given to God. And the prosperity gospel has made us the very center of giving, which is the opposite of giving. So I know it's confusing perhaps for you to hear this language of sowing seeds and getting a return when the prosperity gospel, which is all around us, turn on your TV and click through the God channels and that is largely what you will hear. It sounds similar to what the Apostle Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians. It is not the same message. So much of the call to give in our world is for selfishly getting. 
Paul is calling us to be selfless in our giving and that the glory of God would receive all the attention that it's due. That's the principle for God's people, for the church, and how we're to be generous givers. Every one of us. With our money, with our time, and with our talent. We are called to give generously, and Paul says not grudgingly. Don't be stingy, but give generously, he says in verse 6. In verse 7, he says give cheerfully, which is to say be glad to give. Don't complain about giving, right? Be glad to give as the Lord will use that for His kingdom in the earth. You've heard it said that this is hilarious giving. And there is the same root word there for hilarious But of course, this Greek language existed before our English language. And it's not so much that you give laughingly, it's that you give cheerfully. It's that you give gladly, without complaining, without grumbling against the call to give. And then thirdly, we're told to give by faith. We're to give as stewards of what God has given us. R.C. Sproul says this, about our possessions. He says, what we own, we own as stewards who have been given gifts from God Himself. God has the ultimate ownership of all of our possessions. He has loaned these things to us and expects us to manage them in a way that will honor and glorify Him. That's what it is to be a steward. Every one of us, we are a steward of what God has given us. We're stewards of our bodies and our health. We're stewards of our money and our possessions. We're stewards of our marriage and of our children. We're stewards of every gift that God has given us. And with every one of those things, we're to be loose-gripped. We're to understand that in this life, any of those things can be taken from us at any moment. Those things do not make us. Those things do not define us. And so we hold nothing in this life with a tight grip. But we offer it. We hold it with the hands of offering to the Lord as we seek to serve Him and honor Him, especially with our money, which we are so tempted to hold fast to. Okay, a few practical applications, a few things to maybe shape our thinking about our money, our wealth, our time, and our talents this week. First, I would say this. I think there are three kinds of hearts when it comes to giving. Which one do you have? The first is a resentful heart. When called to give, the defenses go up. Or if you give, you're just doing it with a resentful heart. That's the complaining heart that the Apostle Paul warns us of. He says, don't give with a complaining heart. Give with a glad and a cheerful heart. The second kind of heart is the one that the Gospel gives us. And it's a sacrificial heart. It's willing to sacrifice its own preference, its own pleasure for the glory of God. It has a sacrificial nature to it. And that's what the Gospel alone can do. And then thirdly is that cheerful heart. One who can give and just be glad for the benefit of the receiver 
and that God is glorified and God can work through that act of giving. So do you have a resentful heart? So resentful about giving? Or is it sacrificial and cheerful? That's a whole lot easier said than done. I know that. But the gospel works that kind of heart change in the people that it transforms. The big idea of all this, if we had to sum all of this up into a a sentence over lunch, maybe it sounds like this. We, the church, as Christians, give generously and sacrificially to support, promote, and advance gospel ministry and the worship of God and to see God's kingdom grow. That people would have thankfulness to God. That's what it says in verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 9. The fruit, the goal, the end of it all is thankfulness to God. That needs have been met because of God's goodness through His people and through His church. Now with that kind of view of money, if you and I were to have that view of money and possessions and talent, then and only then could we have a loose grip on our things. Otherwise, if we think of the ways of the world, if we think as the world has taught us to think, it's a tight grip. Because those things will make you, or those things will break you. So don't give up a dime of your hard-earned money, the world would say. But God says, no, these things don't make us, they don't break us. We are are loose-gripped with the gifts that God has given us. And if we can use those to bless others for the good of the church, then we will. I'll close with Hebrews 13, verse 16 passage you heard is the call to worship. Listen to it again with those new ears. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Oh, that we might be a generous church. Not a foolish church with our gifts that God's given us, but a generous church. When we can serve and love and minister to those around us, that we are willing and we are able. Let's pray that that might be true of us. Lord, would you do that very thing? Would you make us to be a more generous people? Some of us can quickly diagnose how stingy we are, how protective we are of our possessions and our time and our talents. But Lord, would you make us more generous, young and old? And if we have no money, might we consider tithing our talent, giving our time for service? Lord, would you work that generous spirit in us that we would learn to love people well, even as Jesus has been so generous to us, offering the deep, deep love of Jesus. Lord, would you work that in us, that of GPC it would be said, the people are faithful and generous and love even like God Himself has loved the world. We ask it and we pray it in His name. Amen.